once again to another stop on the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, Every Black Film Ever Made. I am your host, Vincent Williams of It's All Soul, Wednesdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on G-Town Radio, and I am joined as always... Hey, what's up? Holla at your boy. This is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble of Black Tribbles fame. And as we continue, Mother May I, on this stop, we will spend some time with 2005's Diary of a Mad Black Woman. The film debut, but not the directorial debut. Of Tyler Perry. Yes. And more specifically, the film debut of Tyler Perry's famous alter ego, Medea. Yes. Groundbreaking cinema. (laughs) But before we get into that, and folks, we are going to get to that. But before we do, I believe we have some, some feedback. Oh boy, do we. Yes, we do have a great deal of feedback uh, that is brought to us via our Facebook fan group, Michelle Mission, uh, where we have a bunch of people who have been posting things left and right. Uh, Let's see, what did I have here? Robert Monroe. Hey, what's up, Robert? Robert Monroe Jr. Did you see this, Vince? I thought this was really adorable. He posted this uh, post in here. About some young girl yes. that apparently loves the Wiz. Yes. The and, children are the future indeed. Yes. Uh, it's really great. Uh, it, was, it was from Dallas where the mayor kicked off his summer reading challenge and asked some students what they want to be when they grow up. What do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a singer when I grow up. <laughs> and she's really good. <laughs> Yes. All right, go ahead. <laughs> when I think of home, I think of a place where there's love overflowing. I wish I was home, I wish I was back there with the things I've been knowing. When that makes the tall grass bend into leaning, suddenly the raindrops that fall, they have a meaning, sprinkling the scene, makes it all clean. Maybe there's a chance for me to go back Now that I have some direction It sure would be nice to be back At home where there's love and affection And just maybe I can convince time to slow up Give me enough time ooh, in my life to grow up. Time be my friend. And let me start again. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. She obviously a real, real is a young girl who has not only heard that song 
a thousand times, mm-hmm. but has heard the correct oh boy version. <laughs> yes, she has the Stephanie, the Mills, Stephanie Mills rendition, version. absolutely of home as as the only rendition that people should be listening to. But she fell in love. With the Diana Ross version from the film. No, she did not. She's never seen The Wiz on stage. That doesn't matter. She, okay. She doesn't have to I'm have seen it. Saying. She's obviously hurt. That yes. is note for note. Yes. Diane, I mean, uh, Stephanie Mills. Absolute. Version of. Absolute. But home. the reason she got interested in it was the Diana Ross version. Well, excuse me. I'm I, just saying. I, no, you can. No, I'm not just going to let that slide. Okay. Because if she only got interested in it. Through the Diana Ross version. Right, the film. The film. Then that is the version that she would be singing because she would be watching that film over and over again. Somebody told her that if you want to sing the song, you need to sing it like the person who sang it the best, which was Stephanie Mills. There's never been any argument about that. First of all. But she loves the film. See, no, no, no. Because I don't think you're giving this young this young girl. Uh, enough credit. Who's to say that she did not watch the film? Yes. Saw Diana Ross saw Diana singing Ross. that song yes. at the at the end and said, "Huh, that doesn't seem right." I should research the the actual play. And then, and then someone like, tells her, "You know, honey, you're right. That's not right," and introduces her to Stephanie Mills. Right. To which she then puts on steady repeat. Steady repeat. And then so that she, she knows it no And she for thinks no. about the whiz. She thinks about the play. Henceforth. No, she doesn't even think about the play. She doesn't when she think thinks about, about the whiz, all she thinks about is Stephanie Mills. All she thinks about is Stephanie Mills. Singing. She doesn't think about the home. visuals at all. Not she at just all. Thinks about, yeah, here's the thing. She's seven. She only wa- she wants to be a singer. Yeah, she's seven. She doesn't want to be an actor. She's she doesn't want to be in the whiz. She's she seven. wants to sing like her favorite uh, singer yeah, absolutely. sings the whiz, and her favorite singer is Stephanie, Stephanie Mills. Mills. Absolutely, but she's also seven, so she likes the movie. See, it doesn't have to be either or. You want to make it either or, whereas I want to make it and. Christopher Goodnight wrote us. Hey, what's up, Chris? So glad I listened to the Passenger Fifty Seven episode because I love the rundown. Yes. Agreed that it is the best rock movie where he is the lead. I also like the Lethal Weapon TV series and was disappointed in Clayne Crawford getting fired. Okay. I don't know if it's possible to know exactly what happened behind the scenes. Apparently, Wayans got injured during a stunt shot that Clayne was directing. Why would they let him direct an episode if he was already causing trouble? Seems like a bad idea. Seems like a bad idea, but sometimes that stuff is kind of like baked into your contract and stuff like that. Right, right. And sometimes also you may have been causing a whole lot of trouble. So you're like, you know what? Maybe if we throw the dude a bone. Right. He'll calm down a little bit. Right. Apparently he didn't. Apparently he didn't. And now he's out of a job. Right. Nevertheless, Christopher continues. I was going to be done with the show if they recast the role of Riggs or replaced him with a new character. But damn it, if I don't love Sean William Scott. So I'll force myself to finish this season and then watch next season for Sean. All right. I never heard anybody like, you know, uh, lavish so much love on Sean William Scott. So that should do that actor. Yeah, absolutely. Make him feel happy. Markham Lee. Hey, what's up, Markham? Finally saw Black Panther again, 2 p.m. on a Friday in Seattle and had a good number of people in the theater. 
but I noticed some small details. Yeah, yeah. Markham, Markham was studying. Markham, we've already, you know, acknowledged that Markham has too much time on his hand. <laughs> when Killmonger takes the throne, he's wearing the same sandals that T'Challa was wearing. Mm. At the end, it's in a Oak- good thing Shuri didn't say, what are those to Killmonger? Well, yeah. He have choked her out because that's what he did to black women. At the end in Oakland, T'Challa is wearing BDU pants and combat boots, just like Killmonger. Oh, okay. Picking up from each other. Killmonger's pop isn't with the ancestors either. I should have taken you back to Wakanda. If I had, we wouldn't be stranded here. They can't find us. Mm. I I think this is because uh, Nujobu betrayed Wakanda and got people killed. Because of his crime, he's trapped in purgatory. Oh, no. I actually think it's because Najobo wasn't the king. I always thought that those people that you saw were all, were all, all kings. ancient kings. I don't think they were just the spirits of Wakanda. So you don't think you don't think any of those people were aunts and uncles and like you, you think it was just the lineage of the king. Well, lineage of of kings, of rulers. That's what I thought. So the prince doesn't get like like if you're the younger. So so you're you're saying Shuri wouldn't end up there. No, she wouldn't. Interesting. Because the 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 idea, at least from the way that I gleaned, was that your when you take the heart shape, yeah, when you take the heart shape herb. That that uh, that allows you the access to right. that. Well, realm. regardless, then Killmonger should have seen the same people that T'Challa saw. Then, if if we go by your read, well, maybe, but I think that uh, you have. I think you have access to that that dimension. Let's put it that way, mm-hmm. right? But how you. Um, how that dimension manifests itself to you may differ based on who you are. Thus, why when Killmonger went there, he saw the the his old home right with it with his father. But he still would have seen the other kings. He may have seen the other kings, but we don't know. No, we do know because we saw it. Well, did he see? But did he even see the tree? No. Well. He saw just the, the. He just saw the apartment, and he saw his father. But if if it's like you're saying, like all of them would have been in the apartment, not like no, looking at an old TV guy. Well, I don't. I don't think they necessarily have to. I don't think they necessarily like are just waiting there for somebody to show up. You know what I mean? I mean, I think. What else are they doing? But I don't they're think they're just standing. I don't think they're standing by the door of the access. Like you know, it's it's somebody coming, or like they get an alert. Ooh, somebody coming it's, it's up. It's a new king. Yeah, it's a new, it, I don't think it, it works that way. All this tells me is we probably should watch it some more. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Markham has a larger detail. T'Chaka disarms Nojobo and then just and then just doesn't alter his body movement, and that results in the panther's claws to the chest. Basically, that was the direction they were both moving in, and T'Chaka didn't alter his movement to not kill his brother. But could he? I mean, Nojobu never would have turned himself in and just would have done something else that probably would have hurt more Wakandans. 
Basically, T'Chaka doesn't freeze. Oh. Well, there you go. Ditto for Okoye, who told Wakobi she'd kill him without question. That's what she said. To protect Wakanda. That's what she said. T'Challa freezes when he sees Nakia. And the first time he took Killmonger down, he pulls back and doesn't uh, slay him in the chest. Ditto for when he slices his cheek. He could have just as easily has sliced his neck. Basically, his fight with Killmonger was part of his evolution to be the person who doesn't hesitate to do the hard thing. All right. Uh, th- those are all fair point. However, Okoye says that she would kill Wakabi without question. Yes. But he doesn't call her on it. No, well, so you yeah. well, I'm just saying you don't know whether or not she froze. Oh, she would freeze. Oh, she'd absolutely kill his ass. You think that oh, she would, no and so do I. That, yeah, so yeah. do I. But you don't. Ha- I'm. I'm just saying. She you jumped, don't definitively know. She jumped in front of that big rhino. Oh, that's because she knew that that rhino would respond Tell to you her. What? What well, Kobe called it right. She didn't jump just in front of any rhino. Right. She jumped in front of 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 rover rhino. Yeah, Rick, you know that Rick, she's Rick been Kobe, feeding. Rick it was Kobe Dino. It right, called it right. Fool around and catch one no. of the vibranium spears to the throat. I think he did too. Okay, but I'm just saying. All right, it, it, you don't. If I'm a betting man, you better put your five dollars on her. I I hear you. <laughs> I hear you, Vince. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> Vince is keeping it raw, babe. Hey, man. Vince is keeping it raw, ladies and hey. gentlemen, in case you... Dora Milaje. <laughs> I'm team Dora Milaje. <laughs> I see that. I see that. Uh, did I, you see... No, go ahead. I, no, no, no. I was, I was watching Infinity War telling Black Widow to get out the way. Would you get out the way and let Okoye handle her? <laughs> go ahead. Hey, Dan Dinkins wrote us. What's up, Dan? To let us know that his aunt, Stephanie Dinkins. Yeah. And his cousin, uh, Sade Dinkins. They have a project in the Sundance Film Festival. Very nice. Isn't that cool? That's very cool. The Sundance, uh, the Sundance Institute announces the 2018 New Frontier Story Lab Fellows, groundbreaking group of emerging media creatives convened to push the boundaries of storytelling and technology. And one of those selected is uh, a young Sade Dinkins. Well, congratulations to Clan Dinkins. <laughs> is, is that what it is? Yeah. Is it Clan Dinkins? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sade and Aunt Dinkins and, of course, Damare. Yes, uh, yes, yeah, the mayor. Fantastic. Uh, they, their project is not the only one, which is the multi generational, multi generational memoir of one black American family told from the mind of an artificial intelligence of evolving intellect. Nice. Stephanie Dinkins is a transdisciplinary artist interested in creating platforms for ongoing dialogue about artificial intelligence. And Sade is passionate about social justice and the need for a future that reflects us as representation has growing effect on the human psyche as well as public policy. So their project, not the only one, will be part of the Sundance Institute 2018 New Frontier Story lab well that is fantastic that is really cool we have to look for more information on when people can uh 
check that out or, or Dan gets that information, please make sure to fill us yes, in. Yes, please do. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Um, do, do, do. You'll, you'll appreciate this from your okay. Bougie Square Society. Hey, what's up? Who said that he watched the, the recent Unsung mm-hmm. on TV One uh, featuring the Spinners. Yeah. And he recognizes that that Philly sound was tough. Uh, yes, sir. To which Duante Bettingfield says it was uh, they were blasting Phyllis Hyman, the OJs, and the stylistics last night. Philly went hard, as any music town ever did. And I say that from the town that gave the world the heat wave, Rod Temperton, Lakeside, Roger and Zap, and Shirley Mur- Murdoch. Philly stood as tall as anywhere. Gamble and Huff did not come to play. Along with Tom Bell. You always are, 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 are hyping up Tom Bell. I am. But I think a lot of people don't know who Tom Bell is. Yeah, I mean, he was from that same camp, but he did some um, separate things. I want to say Tom Bell produced the Spinners. Did he? Yeah, I'm pretty sure the Spinners were, were part, came out of the Tom Bell camp. But, you know, when we talk about that Philly sound, we, we oftentimes start and stop with Gamble and Huff. Right. Which, you know, if you got to pick, those aren't bad ones to pick. Very true. But Tom Bell's right in the mix. Uh, You know, I was talking about, we did Passenger 57 last week. Yes, we did. And one of the things I pointed out in my uh, review of Passenger 57 is how much the lead actress in that film was reminding me of Michael Jackson. Yes. Now, do you remember the lead actress's name? I do not. Not at all. Neither do I. And neither does Markham Lee, who wrote, Sir, I say, sir, <laughs> what we're not going to do is to slander that actress whose name I keep forgetting that kind of looks like Victoria Rawell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess if you squint your eyes, she looks like Victoria Ryle. Maybe. I mean, you got to really squint. But if you squint them enough, maybe. Sabria Hafiz. Hey, what's up, Sabria? I listened to the Binge Lounge musical riffs. All right. The hilarious graphic description by Vince of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers had me laughing aloud. <laughs> also, I never need to see that musical. <laughs> y'all, y'all, y'all are missing y'all are missing a classic of American theater. By the way, that was Russ Tamblin. Oh, okay. Who we were trying to remember. I knew it was a Russ. Russ Tamblin. I saw the red hair. Yes. Russ. Yes. I just couldn't pull the last name. Russ Tamblin. That's who I was. I was Riff. You were Riff. When you're a jet, you're Uh-oh. a jet all the way from your first cigarette to your last dying day. When you're a jet, better do what you can. You got trouble around your family, man. You're never alone. You're always well connected. <laughs> your home is your home. When company's expected, you're well protected. Here come the jets. Like, wait, a, wait. like a bat out of hell. <laughs> I could go on. I know. Anyway, <clears throat> we got an email. Yes. At Michelle Mill at Michelle Mission uh at gmail dot com. From Sherry D. Hey Sherry D. Sherry D. I'm sorry. It's all Sherry D. It's Sherry D. Right? Okay. She spells it Sherry, C H A R I, 
but it's pronounced Sherry. Okay. Is that correct? I don't know. All right. Well, Sherry D. Yes. Hello, Vince and Len. Hello. I'm enjoying your episodes. I'm glad. (laughs) Something about the way you said that. (laughs) I am glad. You know, I'm waiting for us to get our first, you guys suck ass. I hate you. You I like how positive it's been. You know, ask. I know, I know, right? Yeah, but Mm. you know. Anyway. You don't take it for granted. Hello, Vincent Len. I'm enjoying your episodes. You're still giving me laugh out loud on the subway, and I didn't know that moment as I listened to you during my commute to work. That episode where you were talking about Jaws, I think, and how people who go snorkeling on cruises can go missing because someone got the count wrong. Oh, that's real. They mess up the count. <laughs> it was yeah. She's saying she was damn near crying. You should be crying because it's true. It's say. a true story, Sherry. That's right. So you go snorkeling, you better stay with that dude. Yeah, for real. Go with the with the with the guy because they'll mess up the count. Yes, and then they'll cover it up. Let your husband go with the chick he's been flirting with. You go with the guy, or you go with the chick he was flirting with. Why? She, she may get lost too. Hey, hey, hey! The point is, oh, y'all don't count go is right. together, right? That's true. The point is that the right. count is right. You're right. Okay. Like you cussed him out about that dude back at the hotel room on land. Very true. Well, she goes on. Okay. I'm writing because I've been thinking about story ownership recently. Okay. A few years ago, I saw a DVD bonus featurette on American Gangster. Director Ridley Scott or the screenwriter said that the real Frank Lucas was on the set during the filming. But the person said that at some point he told Lucas that Lucas's input was appreciated, but no longer needed. (laughs) I just remember that that pissed me off a bit. Okay. It's Frank's story, both remarkable and horrible. And this film person is basically saying, it's my story now. Bye-bye. Yeah. And then millions are made for the filmmakers. Not that I'd want Frank Lucas to make millions from American Gangster after a life of making millions selling drugs to our people. Yes. I was thinking about this ownership thing again while recently watching this Serpico documentary on Hulu. Okay. Frank Serpico says there's a scene in Sidney Lament's biopic that depicts something that didn't actually happen. Serpico actually yelled, cut, during the filming of that scene. Lament was pissed when Serpico protested the scene which shows dirty cops pushing a black suspect's head into a toilet Lament made it clear that this was his movie about Frank's life Frank was asked to leave the set so what do you think is it okay that the stories of living renowned or infamous individuals can be fair game for anyone to tell and to profit from at least on law and order SVU there's a disclaimer that the episode doesn't depict any real person although the story might be informed by something right out of the news right in the films I've referenced the real subjects names are used even the names of the three officers supposedly working under the Richie Roberts character played by Russell Crowe in American Gangster are those of three real officers who worked on the case and were really offended by the way they were depicted in the film their names were used but not the reality of their involvement in bringing Frank Lucas down remember when Jennifer Hudson played Winnie Mandela Ms. Mandela was baffled and upset that no one consulted her about this film at any time. I guess in the case of the two Franks, what got me was that they were invited and present on set, but then just dismissed. No longer needed for the telling of their stories. Anyway, your thoughts, please. Thanks for what you do. 
Sherry D. Well, thank you. What do you think, Lynn? Well, I think in those situations, and I and I'm, um, I can't remember whether or not, actually, in both situations, whether or not the movies were, while they're based on those subjects' lives, whether or not they're based on a book about those subjects' lives, mm-hmm. or just getting information about those subjects' lives, right? Irregardless of that, though, what directors are doing and have been doing since the beginning of motion pictures when dealing with biographical picture uh, stories is they're trying to to create a story that portends to show the truth if that is their mission because that's not always their mission right right but if that's their mission it they're trying to craft a story that tells the truth but in the most entertaining way that um budget and time will allow which usually means that some characters such as Russell Crowe's character um, that are in the actual story, three characters may be amalgamated into right, one. Right, right. A composite. C- and, scenes yeah. may be, you know, three different scenes may be kind of composited into one real scene. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, they've been doing it. Some, some scenes may be excised wholly from, from the story together. Some, some uh, scenes may be written whole cloth just for the film maybe to give maybe uh just for transitional sake or sometimes just to use to more illustrate uh a point of view or or a character or something like that and it sounds to me like that may have been the case on both of these films um it also is, you know, just like, it, you know, um, long ago in Hollywood, the writer of a film might be on set when the director is working on it. Right. Usually if they're, because there may be some last minute changes that have to be made. But if the, uh, short of that, the writer might be there as a, as a, as a courtesy, mm-hmm. you know, like, hey, yeah, you can watch this film this. But usually the directors don't like that because... You know, writers, their words are their babies. Mm-hmm. And sometimes your words get excised from the script. Right. You know, or, or changed over in some way once, you you know, this thing gets in front of the cameras. And then you've got the writer looking over the, the, the director's shoulder and the director can't craft the, the full project that he needs to be done. Right. Same can be said of, you know, having real life people there. Yeah, your input's appreciated. But you can't get in the way because I, I, trust me, you got to trust the director. You got to trust trust them to tell your story the right way. Right. I, I think I agree with everything you just said, and I'll I also go back to all of these stories always say based on a true story, mm-hmm. and I'm going to assume that for Frank Serpico and Frank Lucas, the check cleared. Yeah. And once you sign the release, 
well, you've signed the release. Yeah, and we all know nobody reads the small print. Right. Or, you know, you read the small print and you decide that the price is worth it. Mm-hmm. So, you know. I can't speak to the Winnie Mandela thing, though. Because, one, I didn't see the film that Jennifer right, Hudson right, played right. Winnie Mandela. Well, in, in, in that case, I don't know if it was Winnie Mandela who had to... You know, I do think it's it's a little different when you, once you're a public figure. Like, I know the legalities are different once you're a public figure. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to assume that they were really going through Nelson. Nelson Mandela's story. Okay, and Winnie Mandela is almost like a um, a side character, right? You know, a true character, but but apparently not an important enough character and a public enough character that she didn't have to again sign the release. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's you know, it's an interesting topic. It's an interesting. Time. I mean, when we get to Malcolm X, I, I think the the sort of the 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 sort of um, the nature of how that story was told mm-hmm. by Spike Lee mm-hmm. is just as interesting as the making of the film, because I do think that that Sherry makes a good point about these films that are these you know biographies mm-hmm. and how much of it is biography and. And and again, once you sign the release, how do you lose control of your story? But I think that's just the gig. I think I think also in recent times we've seen, unfortunately, what happens when the subjects retain a level of control over the narrative of the final project. Right. I.e. straight out of Compton, all right. eyes on me, um, which was, the, you know, um, Tupac's family, sure, uh, notorious, yeah, which was Biggie's family, and even on television, the uh, new edition um, miniseries, yeah, that was on BET, that was wholly produced by, you know, like big time produced by the the members of New Edition, right? You know, and while there are the stories tend to be become more cliff notes. Yeah, we understand we got to give y'all what was already in the news. Right. But, but everybody has to get a, yeah. you know. But we, we ain't got to give you but so much of the behind the scenes. Right, right. And even then, it's like warmed over. Right. And, and you know, I think what that comes down to is something we've talked about before. The need for different interpretations of the same story. Right. So that you can get all of these different angles, mm-hmm. if you will. But yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Thank you for that letter. Thank you, yeah, Sherry yeah, D. Yeah, yeah. Haven't heard from you for a while, so yeah, it's nice to know yeah, you're still listening to us on yeah. your way to work. Yes. So here's hoping that you have a great day at work. Absolutely. And don't let them get you down. That's right. Don't let them get you down, girl. <laughs> don't let them get you down. We'll be right back after we step for these messages.
Culture Kings is a podcast on the How Stuff Works Network, hosted by comedians Jackie's Neal and Edgar Montplacier. Every Wednesday and Friday, these two friends dive into topics ranging from sports, music, to movies, style. They wonder whether or not Donald Glover is a genius or a weirdo. They continuously decipher Kanye West's tweets and behavior. They also have recurring segments like Queen of the Week, The List, and Top Fives like Marvel Movies and Video Games. Listen to Culture Kings and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and find out the best way to eat a taco. Oh, what's the best way to eat a taco? That's with your hands? With your hands. Also, with salsa on top of everything to hold the ingredients down. It's like a layer. It's the layer. Right. So that the lettuce doesn't fall off. Can't have falling lettuce. Support Black Podcast. One reps for the old school and one reps for the down and dirty. Both of them are ladies that love hip-hop. Ladies love hip-hop. We're self-appointed hip-hop aficionadas. CJ and Summer Willow kick in the door, waving the full fold, screaming, ladies love hip-hop too. God damn it. That's ladies love L-U-V hip-hop. Check them out on SoundCloud. Check them out where you find good podcasts. Like them on Instagram because these ladies are lovely and their hip-hop is deadly. Remember, support Black Podcasts. Status, Immigration, and People. Status tells the human stories that immigration impacts. Somebody might be in the U.S. on a E-1 or an H-1B, maybe a J-2 or an F-1. They might be undocumented, or they may have their green card. They might be moving to Canada for a job, or to the U.K., or maybe they're trying to escape violence in their home country. In any case, every immigrant has a story. Status tells those stories and how the complex reality of immigration weaves its way into the narrative. Listen here to Status, Immigration and People, available on Podglamour. We got to eat the frog, Lynn. You know what they say, like, if you have to eat a frog every day, you go ahead and eat it, eat it in the morning. Get it over with. We have, Is we, a frog, like, not tasting? Taste, I mean, does not taste most well? Most people wouldn't eat a frog. I've had frog legs. Taste like chicken? I, I don't remember them tasting bad. Yeah. If they it. were actually frog legs. This was at the uh, restaurant that used to be here in Philadelphia called Ribbits. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're not from little, Philly, so you on the nose. So you never, you never, never, heard, you never of heard of rivets. No, no. No, it was, it was an actual restaurant. I, I'm, I, I'm it was sure called rivets. It was. <laughs> it was in Center City. I mean, this wasn't even a small joint, and then and it purported to sell frog legs. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they were really frog legs, but I ate them. <laughs> we have to stare into the abyss, Lynn. <laughs> You know how I know you're stalling? <laughs> because usually I'm the one on tangents. Like, how am I on task? 
I was on so much of a tangent. We had a whole binge lounge. But now today, you want to sing? You want to talk about frog legs? You, I mean, come on, man. Come on. Come on. I watched an interesting YouTube. <laughs> All right. You know, I'm interested in the timeshare. What do you know about timeshares, Vince? <laughs> I did see a documentary. <laughs> come on. Come on. Come on. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, timeshares are evil. But anyway, <laughs> um, let's get into our review of Diary of a Mad Black Woman. There's no easy way to say this. What is she doing here? Get out. He put me out of the house. Who house? Come on. Half of everything in this house belongs to her, and I ain't leaving here until she gets it. You want this half? You want this half? He is eight feet under. Six feet under. I beat him down two more feet. I was mad as hell. I know type one dope. And I know what, y'all. <laughs> Come on, bring it out. Peace be still. That keeps me a piece of steel. As long as you got a piece of steel, you're going to have peace. Load your steel. Thank you, Chief. Kimberly Elise, Shamar Moore, Steve Harris, Cicely Tyson, and Tyler Perry. Medea. Ooh, your hair is pretty good. What is this? Repeat offender day? Tyler Perry's Diary of a Mad Black Woman. I'm placing you under house arrest. You ain't finna put me on no house arrest. It's either that or prison. I'll take the house arrest. After 18 years of marriage to lawyer Charles, played by Steve Harris, Helen, played by Kimberly Elise, is shocked when he announces he's ending their marriage and shacking up with Brenda, played by Lisa Marcos. Helen retreats to the house of her grandmother, Medea, played by Tyler Perry, who helps her destroy much of Charles's property, earning her house arrest. While Charles prepares for the trial of a corrupt lawyer, Helen, putting her life back together, is courted by Orlando, played by Shamar Moore an affectionate moving man with strong Christian values. Directed by Darren Grant, 2005's Diary of a Mad Black Woman was, while not the black community's introduction to Medea, who had been part of Tyler Perry's play empire for a decade, maybe even over a decade, he was this was the cinematic debut of Medea. As we are in week three of Mother May I, this was the choice of Lynn Webb. Lynn, how would you like to begin our conversation of diary of a mad black woman? I begin by taking you back to 2009 when in the promotion of Lee Daniels' Precious. Yes. Oprah Winfrey, who had by then was working on, or I believe maybe even had already started a contract with Tyler Perry. Mm-hmm. 
with own to bring you know original work to own mm-hmm. told an interviewer an, an interviewer i think tyler perry grew up being raised by strong black women and so much of what he does is really in celebration of that Okay, And I think that's what Medea really is. A compilation of all those strong black women that I know, and maybe you do too. And so the reason it works is because people see themselves. Okay. End quote. End quote. By Oprah Winfrey. From Oprah Winfrey. I say unto you, Vince. Mm-hmm. If I ever come to you and say... That there is a character in a Tyler Perry movie in which I see myself. Yes. I need you to shoot me in the eyes. <laughs> Preferably with the gun that I wave around often and the, yes. the clip always falls out. So I have to put the clip back in. Yes. Okay. Preferably with that. Okay. Um, because... As 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 well as well as Medea says, you know, she keeps her a piece of steel because yes. once you got a piece of steel, you will have peace. Load your steel, thank you, Jesus. Yes, yes, that's, that's, a, dir- a, that's direct, a direct quote. Direct quote. Direct quote from, from the Medea. script. The script written also by Tyler Perry. Yes. Yes. Um. This is Tyler Perry's first film. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not his first production. No. Because Tyler Perry made his bones on stage plays originally. That he started um, down in the South. And as they grew in popularity, he would put them on more or less a national uh, touring circuit. Absolutely. And he had a number of different plays. One starting with I Know That I Have Changed. um, And eventually uh, one of his most successful plays was Diary of a Mad Black Woman. Right. Which he put on all over the country. Came here to Philadelphia a couple of times. Absolutely. Came to Baltimore a bunch of times. So, and it's fair to say that with each production, each staging of this play, he would tinker around with the script. You would think. You know, noodle around with it, perfecting it. uh, Until the point where he gets enough money um, and enough interest from Lionsgate to turn this play, this hit play, into a movie. So he has to make some adjustments to the script to make it movie length. Okay. Um, but also some some fleshing, more fleshing out of the characters. Because when you're dealing with the stage, characters tend to be uh, written a little more a little broader you know um because they're the the acting is maybe a little more enunciated on the stage more theatric uh as opposed to in when a film when it certainly calls for more nuanced acting and uh staging and and um and artistry put before a film so he so while this is his first movie this isn't his first time around a script. And if we are to believe Oprah Winfrey, who we as black people have been conditioned to believe. It's in our contract. 
it is in it is probably in some generations DNA by now. Yeah, how about that? So if we're to believe Oprah Winfrey in everything that Tyler Perry does, there is a celebration of the strong black woman. Yes, yes, absolutely. That is yes. Yet Diary of a Mad Black Woman is nothing. Nothing like a celebration of a strong black woman. If if anything, it is a it 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 is a uh, uh, denouncing of a strong black woman. It is the 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 piling on of a strong black woman, and maybe that might not even be accurate because our lead in this film, whose point of view we are to is taking us through this story is not a strong black woman Mm. at any point in this movie. Mm. Is she a strong black woman of her own uh, thoughts, uh, dreams, realizations, or agency? Okay. At all. She, the, uh, the character of, and I, and I want to get it right. Helen. Helen, as portrayed by Kimberly Elise. Yes. Is a soft-spoken um, wisp of a woman that has been uh, uh, verbally, emotionally, and there are hints of physically. Yes beaten down into a trembling mess. Yes. That's within the first five minutes of the movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, she is she is not stepped on in the first five minutes of the movie. She is jumped on, had boots rubbed in her face, and then thrown away. Yes. Within, before the movie is 15 minutes old. And if you don't think that is good enough then everyone else in this film does nothing but pile on into her face yeah, yeah. Medea piles on into her face every, every um, even at one point her Prince Charming piles on into her face the other woman piles on into her face everybody jumps down on this woman And the fact that she eats it, yeah, is galling. Is is because there's so many times when, you know, she can just not even necessarily just stand up for herself. Mm-hmm. There's so many times where she like it's just implausible what she's dealing with. Yes, it, it makes absolutely no sense. It's not realistic <laughs> at all. It's oh. not. It's, I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. Welcome to my world. Then anyone would. <laughs> Especially as you're introduced to in the beginning of the film, she's been dealing with this for 18 years. Let's say that, okay, maybe she wasn't dealing with it for 18 years, but it certainly sounds like she's been dealing with it for more than at least mm, five. Yes, absolutely. It, it has to be more than five because you learn the dudes, who, uh, her, her husband, Charles, played by Steve Harris, who I will say is doing phenomenal work acting wise in this movie, is he. 
has two children with another <laughs> yes. another woman. Yes, he does. And not two babies. No, he got two boys. <laughs> he got two, two boys. My mother called them rusty boys. Rusty boys. Big old rusty boys. Because they're not babies, they're not toddlers. No. They are boys. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. are they are boys with their own health insurance. Yeah. <laughs> their own right. social security card. Right, right. One of them boys about to hit puberty. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he taking them out driving. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's 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 got dependence on the other side of town. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're not even on the other side of town. No. They coming for lunch at his work. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, 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 yeah. Tell daddy bye. <laughs> And say excuse me to the Miss Darkless Donskin lady. Oh, yeah. Boy. Let's not even talk Uh-oh. about that. Uh-oh. Let's not even talk about that. Come on, we gonna ease into the pool. <laughs> we easing into the pool. Keep going, Mister Webb. We just easing into the pool. Don't, don't jump into the color part yet. I mean, but the thing that pisses me off Uh-oh. about this is that this is a this is a story that you've been massaging for years from stage to movies. All right. That's supposed to be the celebration of a strong black woman. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's supposed to be the diary of a mad black woman. I think we get about three pages of the diary in a, mm-hmm. throughout the whole darn movie. But this move, this woman, she's not mad. She's not mad at all. I mean, you could maybe say she's mad because at one point, as I told you last week, she has an abrupt yes change of heart. Yes, she has been. Thrown away by this dude. Yes. Thrown to the other side of town. Yes. Where, for whatever reason, she falls in love with a man and a braid wig. <laughs> That's her idea of romance. God bless her. She falls in love oh, with this dude. Jesus. And they have oh, what we are told is at least four to five months of bliss. Together. Chased Christian bliss. We know it's chased Christian bliss because the montage told us so. As they were walking by the beach and he's lifting her up on the pedestal and they are, you know, having their cute little Christian kisses, you know, sans tongue and everything like Jesus. So we know it, it it it's it's bliss. And yet, and yet, she is moved to go back to nurse her husband after he is shot. Mind you, mind you, mind you, that whole the whole subplot (laughs) of him dealing with gangsters yes yes gangsters who helped him get to the multi-million dollar plateau that he's on now right and now right. because he can't get this gangster off well this gangster doesn't have a uh, doesn't have a tube of vast uh, acid that he can throw in his face thus to create two-face which would have been awesome which would have been awesome but no would have been more awesome if he played by billy d williams yeah. but anyway <laughs> but no he doesn't have that but however he does have you know Barney Fife taking him back, <laughs> back in the court, so like, he can steal this, his gun. This is bad court security right here. And shoot St- Stephen Harris. That whole p- subplot is just so that you, the audience, can have some slither 
of compassion for this man who up until now has been the worst asshole <laughs> ever depicted in motion picture history. I don't think you're supposed to feel compassion for him. I think this is all a setup so she can be the bigger person and show her triumphant. Is it, that what this is supposed that's to be? In judging. Look. All right. Oh, God. Are we finished? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut Go. you off. I want this to be a conversation. A conversation. Go. Go. Conversate. I Conversate. Where do you start with this? I'm, all right. First of all, and you said about Stephen Harris. I, 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 I did not know that this is the only film uh, in the Tyler Perry world that he didn't direct. That and, Tyler Perry didn't that direct. That Tyler Perry did not direct. And this is a competently directed film. By Darren Grant. By Darren Grant, who was yes. a video director. And, mm-hmm. and you, you know. And this is his film, his, his feature film. His feature film debut. debut. And sort of staging, transitions, the scenes. It is competently filmed. Competently. Competently. Yes, yes I will say uh, that. As you said, I think Stephen Harris does the best he can with the script. Yes. Kim Elise, I think Kim Elise has perfected this put upon role that she plays like this is her lane like this is her lane like with, whether you're talking about set it off mm-hmm. whether you're talking about um you, you know i remember a very affecting episode of girlfriends okay where she was you know she was hiv positive because of her husband mm-hmm. uh you, you know she's just always very put upon yeah and there is you, you, you know like she's very put upon well Mm. But you you know it 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 doesn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> like nothing about the film makes a lick of sense. And and you can tell that Tyler Perry puts puts these characters in position to further the plot that he wants to get across. Right. And this is something we've talked about before, where they they aren't characters. Stephen Harris plays this person who, again, just logistically, eighteen years, you're in this comic book evil marriage, and there's never any real reason why. Like like the man has put your mother in a in a old folks home. He's cut you off from your family. He hasn't had sex with you in a year. He is is as you said every all the abuse that you talked about. But there's no real sense of how you got there. No. Like there's one throwaway line where she says I I think about how we used to be. But it's a throwaway line. Yeah. Yeah, you keep expecting like the the flashback or something. Her cousin Brian has a wife who is a movie drug addict. I mean, she is just just rambling and, and all up the street, and she's a crackhead. And someone's well, well, how did this happen? And he says, "Life, life happened." And Tyler Perry has no interest in developing characters. No, he just wants to get across these very kind of superficial stories Mm -hmm. and get to this point you know orlando her prince charming what do we know about orlando orlando is hard working and you know that because every time you see him 
He's wearing work clothes. Yes. Like he's hardworking. He's a Christian man. How do we know he's a Christian man? Because he told us he's a Christian man. Yeah, I'm about to say, he says it. And he doesn't ha- want to have sex with her. And he's in love with her. Why is he in love with her? I don't really know because much like we've talked about in the other Tyler Perry films that we've watched, there's no reason to be in love with this woman. No. Like Kim Elise is a beautiful woman. Like if he just said, you know, you fine. Like, okay, well, I can ride with you a little bit. You know, she's a good looking woman, but she just sort of beat down mm-hmm. and mean to him. I don't you know. know she's she's not really mean to him. Oh, she's mean to him all the way up until he takes her out to dinner in his work clothes that he's been working for twelve hours. Yeah, well, I, see, I wouldn't call her being mean. I mean, she certainly hasn't done anything on my end to be attracted to. But right. but, but mean, I wouldn't. I just, I just there wouldn't. is no reason for him to chase after her the way he does. As hard as he is, as, does no. There is nah. nothing about. Helen's character that says I'm going to go through hell and high water to get to you except that Tyler Perry wants this story where a man who looks like Shamar Moore will come and sweep you off your feet Right. and this is something he feeds to his audience and I have to disagree with you you say that you think you would think that he would have honed his script and and workshopped it based on the many hours that he has done a version of this in the plays, and mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like he did. I think he did. Mm. I think this is what it workshopped to, to this point where Tyler Perry knows his audience. Oh, that's true. And this is an audience of mostly women, mostly a little older. Mm-hmm. Mostly Christian. Yep. That this is the fairy tale fantasy that they want to believe. They want to believe that a woman in a position who is the wife to this lawyer can't possibly be happy. That it's all a facade. They want to believe that this lawyer, if for him to be a lawyer like this, he's got to be the most horrible person on earth. Like, like he's abusive. And then we find out he's a criminal. You know, he's got this. He's got this floozy on the side that he's got this little side family with this Hispanic floozy, because I think that's important that she's Hispanic, because this is all part of this, this undercurrent where, where, where it's, it's sort of the cliche of the successful black man who gets a woman who's not black. And, and yes, she is lighter than Helen. Yes. But you know, she's going to get her own light beautiful person in Orlando. Well, I hadn't even thought about that. Right. Who's working class. So he's a good, solid, upstanding citizen. Mm-hmm. And then there's Medea, huh. which we haven't mentioned at all. And, you know, I, I just, I just have to say, and this is just something is just foreign to me. This whole notion of Medea, this character Medea representing this older black woman, you've talked about it before. You know, my father called my great grandmother or called my, my great grandmother a uh, Madeer. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, my grandmother Madeer, which is where Madea comes from. And, you know, I love old black women, love old black women. And I certainly love old Southern black women because those are the ones that I kind of grew up with. And this sort of crass 
loud, ignorant, and stupid. Yes. Because those are two separate things. Ignorance, you just don't know something. Like, if you ask me, I don't know, about the intricacies of a Japanese tea ceremony, I would say, well, you know, I'm ignorant. Like, I don't know about that. That's my ignorance. Right. Stupidity is when you revel in it. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's this whole notion where Medea don't want to read anything and, and, and this and, and it's this whole deal with the gun, which I don't like. And I find this character amazingly insulting. Very. To the older black women on now. Then it's this whole deal with him dressed up as a woman in this very, very kind of over the top drag. Mm-hmm. Which I don't like either. I know part of that is just a visceral thing. Yeah. And, you know, let's be clear. This isn't about anyone being transgendered. Mm-hmm. This isn't even about drag quietly. Like, like you talk about, you, you know, like house music and club music and, and, you know, that world that RuPaul comes from. Right. I don't like it when it's done for jokes. I think the whole thing about Medea is that Medea is along the lines of Big Mama's house. Okay. Where everyone knows that this is a man mm-hmm. in this dress. Mm-hmm. And it's played as ridiculous. Like, the whole thing is ridiculous. Okay. So, you, you know, again, this whole notion that somehow Medea is, is a testament to these women, I don't believe it. Wait a minute. I just want to stop you real, real quick in saying that you don't like it when it's played for jokes. You're right. saying like this, the, the, the drag component of it. Right. right. Well, I just have to ask one question. One, how does this definitely I see what you're talking about in Big Mama's house and um, and maybe in like in the what was that movie? Uh, white Chicks when the Wayans brothers dressed as sure. white girls. Um, but how does this differ if it does to you from Eddie Murphy uh, playing the mother in the clumps. Sure. It doesn't really. The only thing I will say about the mother in the clumps, I think the clumps as opposed to, I think the nutty professor, it's absolutely in the same lane. Okay. But the clumps, and I don't want to get too far off of this. There's this, this, this weird vein of humanity in the clumps. Mm-hmm. With with the mother character in particular, like like not the grandmother character, but the mother right, character. Right. But but you know that really is splitting hairs. I think the clumps fall very neatly into this as well. Okay. And then my last question is: Does this also apply to a film? And this is going to film history a little bit. That's considered one of the great films of all time. Some like it hot with Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon famously in drag for the entire movie. Well, I think it's completely different because we're talking about white men, frankly. And I think when you bring race into it, I I think, you you know, here you go. We're going to fold back. Probably no one has ever talked about Welcome Home Brother Charles and Medea at the same time. No. I think when we talk about black masculinity... And this sort of of way that America has emasculated black men. Mm-hmm. This is a way that it's done. Again, not drag, but this drag for laughs. Okay. You know, so that, again, I think part of the reason that Medea 
we're comfortable with Medea is because we're always comfortable with stuff that doesn't upset white people, frankly. Hmm. So that I think that is part of our comfort with Medea. Okay. And, 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 but, but even with the Medea thing, which, you know, probably is the reason people talk about this film. Although quietly Medea isn't in a whole lot of this movie. No, she's not. But, you know, at, at the end of it, like really by the time it went off, what it really, what it really got across to me is this is an indictment of black filmmaking for the past 20, 30, maybe even 40 years that I think you have this entire audience of black women mm-hmm. who are so hungry for any type of anything mm-hmm. that they see themselves mm-hmm. that they took to this because you're right. Like, like, like Helen has, has no agency. She's passive through the entire thing. Yes, you, you know it's this weird kind of revenge fantasy almost. Mm. I, I mean, it's almost you know a lot of it quietly was like a watered down version of the color purple. <laughs> it's interesting. I did get it a, a little hint of that, right? But you know, without all the complexities yeah. that are built into the color purple, like like good writing, well, good writing and characterization, yeah, like you and know acting and and well then acting, but it's it's. It's terrible. Yeah, it is really bad. There is nothing like you're talking about Kimberly Elise. I Kimberly Elise got on my nerves within the first three minutes of this movie, and she never got off my nerves. Yeah, she was on my nerves the entire time. I really and 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 the shame of it is is that I remembered from first watching this that I remembered her being one of the more interesting parts about this film, and I don't know what I was thinking because she was really just very, very annoying. Now, part of that is the writing. I'm, I'm sure. But I think also a part of that is just the, it may be, maybe you put it this way, like the effect that she was putting into our acting of like having this put upon, mm-hmm. like, like the, the, the put upon woman got on my nerves, but even when she did kind of like quote unquote, you know, lash out in anger a couple of times, I didn't believe it either. Right. You know, it, it just didn't even read true at all. Yeah. Uh, so it was just like really just, ugh, it's just, and, um, Again, like I told you, like there's something about his movies and it's a shame to see it right here in the beginning with his first film that, you can have this guy be a total butt for the for the first half of the movie, yeah, and then, but for sake of some something happening to him, all of a sudden you say that we the switch is so that we can feel her come up and regardless of that, regardless of that, I just I feel like this guy gets the movie gives him a pass. You know, right? Because yeah, who wants to get shot? Nobody wants to get shot. Nobody wants to get shot. But by end of the end, he's paralyzed. But yeah. by end the end, end of the movie, by the grace of the Lord, right? Because Jesus saved his legs. Yes, Jesus saved his legs, and he's walking again. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and he's at the family. He's, he's at the family dinner. It's a straight. Well, this well, is the dinner. This is the. This is the. This is the house. Look. 
Look, Lynn, even that, they've been together 18 years. So, even, like, even that, like, if I bother, they've been together 18 years, which I don't buy. I don't, it's so many things about the logistics of it. Like, who signs a prenup when both of us are broke? Yeah. And from my understanding of prenups, what that means is we both leave with what we came with. But anything we build up together, we split. So, y'all built this whole thing up together. That, well, which too hard to. I mean, I'm no. Which is what Medea tells her. Right. I'm no lawyer, matician. But it seems like if y'all were broke together, he came up in 18 years. You never worked. You you should like I don't know the laws in Georgia, but I don't know if somebody can just kick you out your house like that. Yeah, especially when your house looks like it's a used hospital. Did you see the size of that house? Yes. He's quite the lawyer. <laughs> yes, I want to know. what. I think he's Johnny Cochran on steroids. But why does Shamar Moore take her back? No, that, that, that makes zero sense as well. And I'm going to just say this as a grown up. Like, I ain't going to say ain't no Christian men out there that would say we need to wait for marriage and this, that, and other. No, there's plenty. There's plenty, plenty. of them that would do that. But I'm going to just say this. If you meet this dude and y'all been together for four months and he's, oh, we need, like, you need to have some more questions. Like, what's going on with you? Do you have another wife somewhere? Wait a minute. Just because he proposed after four months? Yeah, I think that's a little tricky. I mean, I, that's a little. I, I think it's a little whirlwindy, a little tricky. You just came out of a marriage, this whole thing, and and I worked twelve hours, and I got the the, the, the braids, and and, the, and yes, did and, you see the man's hair? And the handkerchief. Did and, you see the man's hair? Did you and see I, his hairline? And I have to tell you, I'm in love with you. And what's what is happening right here? Like this? Some, don't nobody think y'all should slow down, Vince? You're talking about a woman that signed a prenup. When they both had nothing. <laughs> Some type of crazy prenup. And a guy with a braid wig and, uh, I don't know, Tupac's long lost kerchief around his, around his head. <laughs> he used to have matching, he had matching ones though. So I don't think we're necessarily talking about two MIT students here. <laughs> or even MIT students of the world. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. So if in four months, two special people <laughs> come together. Then maybe they get together. Then maybe they belong. And I'm together. supposed to believe that he prenupped this wife eighteen years ago, but he ain't prenup Miss Ha Cha 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 and the two kids so that she can clear out the bank account? Well, Probably not, because let's let's just you know look at this. What's not in the text? Okay, because what's not in the text? As much as he, you know, it's not fair for me to be away from my sons. One of them sons was probably a surprise. Okay, and you know, it don't look like you know, Mama Sita. She she might have she might have been playing a little games with bruh, 
and like you know, and he he fell he fell victim to the game. He fell victim to the game. Ain't that ain't that exactly what they say happens? Yes, I'm telling you, this whole thing is a weird revenge fantasy. It's a weird revenge fantasy that doesn't make sense. It's just a really, really, really stupid movie. And yet, this is the beginning. So what? So. Yeah, and this is—I mean, really, all, all jokes aside, this is really what I what I try to come to grips with. There are one of two things that are true. Either all these people who love Tyler Perry are stupid, or there is something going on with him. And what he makes that we have to acknowledge, bless you, and we have to address. Well, one thing that I will say. And I don't think everybody is stupid. I don't think everybody is stupid either. I do think that while definitely playing to the lowest common denominator as far as his audience, there is an argument to be made that the comedy of Medea that is on, you know, introduced, we're introduced to in this film, which, you know, is also to the detriment of this film because you don't know what to make of these films. Mm-hmm. Because the second Medea is on the scene, then the film turns to farce and therefore whatever melodrama you're being asked to be invested in, you're totally let off the hook because Medea's in there just right. acting like a, a stone nut. But there's an argument to be made that that comedy is the comedy of uh, black people throughout the last 30, 20, 30 years before this movie comes out. Okay. That it's the comedy of uh, Red Fox mm. and Sanford and Son. Mm-hmm. That it is, to a degree, the low-hanging fruit of family matters on television. You know? Um, that it is the comedy of some of your other 70s uh, TV shows, 70s and 80s TV shows, What's Happening and Good Times. Um, um, some of the films of those times, some might even say maybe it is not quite as intelligent, but it maybe it, it's, is this some along, is this depiction of black people and their lives how much different is this than the the send up of the urban black people in Uptown Saturday Night? Oh Lord! Now don't get me wrong. No, no, I'm no. not saying I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that they, they, that it it stands with those films, right? As far as wit and anything like that, but on its most common level, how different is it? Especially from something from like Sanford and Son, which. I like Red Fox as much as the next person. Right. But 
is his brand of of body comedy that much different? Yeah, but, than what's on display. But I think it's more than the comedy of it. Like 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 Oprah Winfrey said, and Oprah Winfrey is not alone in saying this. There's something. People would argue there's something important going on in Tyler Perry films. There is and something how important. He t- how he taps into this zeitgeist of the black experience. See, I think I think that's people trying to just looking for reasons to justify being in business with him. Uh, but there Dude, is something. But there is. But they want to be in business with him because he's good at it. Well, well they, what he is good at is is that he. He creates entertainment that speaks, like I said, to the lowest common denominator. It's a, it's a, it's body crazy buffoonish comedy. Y'all can't see me shaking my head, Lynn. I gotta push back. It's more than that happening with Tyler Perry. No, what's more, the other thing that is happening with him that is that is in fact very important, and which is the whole, sole reason why I can't stand Tyler Perry, but I will also, you know, I. I I have to give the man his his just due mm-hmm. is that he has created a lane for black creatives a, he has created uh in many ways a blueprint for black creatives to get their work out there to the general public to get it out there and to have it seen and acknowledged as some level of of uh artwork that uh has a justification for being in front of the uh a general audience. He's created a lane for that. He's created a uh a business model that creatives can follow. He's created a a a a uh more than one more than a hundred opportunities for um, uh, actors and directors and writers to to get into this business and from there take their take their talents where they will. It, it's actually stunning to me that the director of this, Darren Grant, didn't go on to direct more more things. He only directed one other film. Um, and, and I think it was just a, a short indie film. It wasn't even a yeah. It I mean, wasn't even a Tyler Perry movie. I, I don't I, I don't disagree with anything you just said, but but I I do think that there people attach a sense of morality, a sense of um, value of culture to his work that that is very unique to him. Like people try to make versions of Tyler Perry movies. Yeah, but there's people copying. It's people copying, but it's it's people also trying to tap into that Tyler Perry ness, and they mm. always fail. Mm. You know, let's be very clear. The only reason that Oprah Winfrey was in business with Tyler Perry is because he came in and saved own. Right. Right. True. Like true. Oprah, Empress of the World. And the world that included black people needed Tyler Perry to come in and bring the Tyler Perry demographic with him. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is something very unique. Like you just said, people have been doing this type of body comedy 
and certainly body black comedy back to Moms Mabley and Red Fox. Mm-hmm. Ain't none of them billionaires like this. Like none of them have created an empire from nothing mm-hmm. like Tyler Perry has. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I, I do think part of it is like people were just so hungry for for something that spoke to them. And, and, you know, we've said it, you know, this is our third Tyler Perry film. And I don't think there are any, any real surprises here. Like you and I are in no way the, the target audience for this. No. But at the same time, I say with, with all confidence and I'll say it loudly and publicly that Tyler Perry is the most influential black filmmaker since Spike Lee's first two movies. Yeah. And the most important. And there's something, I mean, you know. I I won't say most important. Who's more important than Tyler Perry? Right now? With black people. I think Ava DuVernay. Ava DuVernay. First of all, most black people can't even spell Ava DuVernay's last name. That doesn't matter. If if you're important, it matters. They say Ava. Most black people don't know who the hell Ava DuVernay is. That doesn't mean that she's not the most important. No, 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 no. That she's not more important. Yeah, it does. No, it doesn't. To black people, it does. Yeah. Like, you can't be important if don't nobody know who the hell you are. I I know it hurts. I don't don't agree. I I mean, you don't have to agree, but, you know, it's in black and white. I don't agree. I don't agree. Because I also think whatever currency... Tyler Perry has built with black people. Yes. He has been spending more and more at a loss with his most recent box office offerings. I'm thinking about the last two Halloween pictures that he put out. Sure. And I'm also thinking about uh, Acrimony, which, yes, I thought was a power <laughs> of doo-doo. Yes. Um, but uh, also, apparently... So did a lot of people because right. it did not make any money. It, it did not make any money. It didn't make the money that the Tyler Perry stuff usually does. No, not not that it usually does. You know what? I think he wants to stretch. I think he <laughs> wants to grow whatever his his imprint is. I was I would agree with that. However, but you didn't see Acrimony. No, I didn't. Because no, if no, you no. saw Acrimony, Acrimony is honestly is the other side of the coin. Of Diary of, of a Diary Black, Black, Black Woman. Tyler Perry put on that dress and makes Medea something that's not because you know we were looking at his later work and like you said his last Medea films have been animated or or the Halloween movie or, or holiday yeah, type been, things yeah. more like, spoofs or spoofs or you know he tries to bring in white people mm-hmm. but he makes a movie Medea's you know spades game and and he throws in you know. Shamar Moore, one of them boys from, you, you know, I don't know if Alan Payne's doing something or, and, 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 and you say something about Jesus. And I think he, I don't think his, his base has moved. I, I, I think they have. I think they're starting to. I think that's also one of the reasons now, why they might be dying. <laughs> that's not nice. Um, I mean, that's, I mean, it's just the truth. Uh, I think, th- I think, that's also part of the reason why when you were talking about people have tried to tap into what Tyler Perry has done and when they've done it, it, it hasn't sold. Mm-hmm. They've, they've failed. I think all, that's also because 
black people, you know, recognize Tyler Perry for what he is. Right. Recognize him for what he isn't. You know, like, all right, we know you're not going to get, you're not, you're not going to give us, you know, Malcolm X. Right. You're not going to, you're not going to give us, you're not, you're not going to give us Moonlight. Right. You're not going to give us uh, Birth of a Nation. Right. You know, you're going to give us what you, what you do. Yes. Okay. And anyone else tapping in, trying to do that, it's like, come on, man, can't you do better? We already got that. We already have. We don't need that's not what we need. <sighs> yeah, you're right. And also, I'm just tired. <laughs> you didn't even go through your list of questions. You had a whole list of questions. You got to at least give me three of your questions. You want three of my questions? Three, give me All three right. of your questions that we can see if we can't find All right, the answers. Here are my Vince questions. has literally, ladies and gentlemen, about... <laughs> He has about two pages, and there must be about 30 questions apiece on these pages that he came up with from watching Diary of a Mad Black Woman. Give us three. All right. Question number one that I will share. Did her cousin get on crack Mm. because she married him? Because she married Tyler Perry? No, because she married uh, Stephen Harris. Because remember, oh. at one point, Medea says, yeah, she hasn't been the same since you got married. That's right. And implication is that it was her fault. Her, her cousin, uh, wasn't her cousin um, Tiffany? Yes, Tiffany, who was on the crack. Yeah. Right. So that was the question. I, I talked about... Um, Play by Tiffany Evans. Yeah. Now, now I talked about my, my greatest question of the movie. What kind of prenup is this where you don't get the future money either? Well, she wasn't smart. To Medea's credit, she said, look. No, 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 no. I understand she's not. Apparently, she's dumb as a stump. I don't know if the law works that way. Like, I've known people who got divorced. I know about divorces. Mm -hmm. I've never in my life heard somebody say that you and I built some stuff up together. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not supposed to get none of it because I signed a paper, a prenup. You know, this is all part of my Tyler Perry doesn't know how, how like life works. So that was a question. This is a question I actually had. Uh, this is a continuation of a question I've had since uh, we watched Sister Act 2. Who doesn't let their child sing on the church choir? Thank you. <laughs> like, why are you not letting the baby sing on the church choir? Like, do you think music is going to make you a drug addict? Like, just music? Like, he's like, he's like a version of John Lithgow's character in Footloose. <laughs> like, just music. Like, any music. So then I wondered, do they listen to music in the house? Like, are you allowed to even listen to music? Is you, music- uh, can you hum? Can you hum? Is that going to get you on the crack? So that was a question. Throw out that music box. Right. Um, why is the whole junkie subplot even in the movie? I didn't even understand why it was in the movie. I don't know why it's in the movie either. However, I will say this about this film. That if there's one saving grace for me okay. in this film, near the end, because it's not quite the end, but near the end, when the young girl finally does sing in the choir, 
Yes. And the choir does sing yes. along with her, including the pastor. Yes. Who I, I think was Ralph Tresman. I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Maybe Tyler Perry's never actually been inside of a church. I, I don't really not. know how this works, but okay. But when she, but when she's, when the, the the choir sings, including like the and the lead choir, the the, the lead the leader, the lead singer of yeah. the choir, I think it was Tamamla Mann. Yeah, I think it was Tamamla Mann. Right. Mm-hmm. When when they sing, and then Tiffany Evans, Tiffany the crack addict, right, comes in like Suge. I was about to say that's a version <laughs> of Suge. Although, it's, if, but now you're a junkie. Like that would have made me think, oh well, she's still on that stuff. Yes, yeah, true. However, but when she comes in and sing, I have to, I have to admit that I felt flush at that. Did you really? Good singing. Oh, I laughed out loud when 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 I when I feel or experience like good singing, like really just powerful singing. It touched you. It it it. it I feel it in my cheeks. I get flushed a little oh, bit. Oh, that's nice. And I thought that was extraordinary singing okay. by everyone there. And and that, the singing got the to singing me. Got Not to what you. was happening. Not what was happening. But the singing. I couldn't really hear the singing because I was laughing so hard. And then I wrote in my, my nose, Jesus, fix the junkie. <laughs> right after I wrote, Jesus, fix Steve Harris's legs. Yes, because because... And then I've said, Jesus fixed the junkie marriage. Because they, they they put the family back together right there in church. But mind you, his excuse for not letting his daughter sing was because music is what got your mother on crack. Right. Which I don't... He, yet when she comes into the church singing... Sure that's not how crack or music works, but true, okay. True, true. But when she breaks into the house, she comes to the house to get something to eat. He feeds her, but no, you've got to go. That's right. Because, you know, you know, like, I, I'm sure he's been he's been through this before. Absolutely. But, you know, and he doesn't want to go through it again. That's no. fine. But if music broke you up. Yes. And if music is what put her on the crack. Yes. Was, was keeping you from letting your daughter sing on the choir, even though you eventually lamented and gave and let her sing on the choir. Yes. Why does it then, when the mother comes into the church singing... Why is that not? Why is that a sign? Like, oh my God, we should get back together. This is what put her on crack. So maybe Brian's dumb too. Maybe what I'm missing <laughs> is that everybody is stupid. <laughs> Which makes sense because here's my question to you. <laughs> All right. What's up with this family tree? I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> First of all, I said, why is old ass Cicely Tyson her mother? Why is old ass Cicely Tyson her mother in an old folks home? Right. Yet Medea's her grandmother. Right. Who's walking around toting guns. Right. And beating up. <laughs> and then her, then her, Medea's brother, also played by Tyler Perry, is trying to sleep with Cicely Tyson. Yes. No. Also trying to sleep with the granddaughter. And then he said, that's your husband's side of the family. And I said, wait a minute. That's the grand like that's not how sides of the family work. No. Like you can't be the grand I mean, is she the step granddaughter? It, it, it didn't make it and then Brian, the other Tyler Perry playing Tyler Perry. Right. As because when Tyler Perry plays Tyler Perry, he must be the most perfect person in the movie. Right, right. Have you ever picked that up? It all started well, here. Except his 
dumbass was married to a crackhead. <laughs> okay, well, and, she, uh, assuming she wasn't a crackhead in the beginning. But he don't really know how it happened except but, music. But his judgmental butt kicked her out, though. Yes, Because that's did. what judgmental Tyler Perry does. That's right. But J- Tyler Perry is Medea's son? No, Tyler Perry is, is the brother's son. Oh, if Joe's... Right, right. So son. Joe and Helen are second cousins. Because Medea is Helen's grandmother. Mm. But can we just stay here for a second? Medea had a husband that we don't hear about. Mm-hmm. Apparently he died. Mm-hmm. And then Medea's... Wait, so does that mean Medea's daughter is Cicely Tyson? That's what I was trying to figure out. Because how can your daughter be in an old folks home? Right. And how can your daughter be older than you? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out this family tree. I can't. Because your daughter is calling you Medea. Right. Uh... Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I was like once I saw that Cicely Tyson was her mother. I said, oh, well, this just don't make you know, I think he you know, he's really just trying to get to Shamar more. <laughs> Let's, let's just go. It's, so I'm assuming you saw the episode of the boondocks that they scrubbed from existence. Oh, uh, yes. So much of it is right there, though. It is. So, you know, it is. You can, you can find that, ladies and gentlemen. Can you? It's really, really it's hard. Because Tyler Perry scrubbed that. You, you can find it. Well, it is all right to cross dress for Christ. <laughs> Uh, anything else we need to say about this movie? No, no. I will say this: um, oftentimes we cut artists to break on their first film, and and you you know we say, well, it's their first film, mm-hmm. yeah. But we've had over we've had over a decade of Medea. It's so funny in in my head. Like when I started, I said, okay, well maybe we'll do that. And we talked about it a little bit last week, where I said, okay, well we'll do. The first Medea, the third week of Mother May I, and then to close Mother May I out, I was going to choose like Medea's family reunion, mm-hmm. which I believe is the last non um, spoofy, spoofy thematic Medea film, and it's actually a sequel to this almost. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Medea's family reunion actually beat me down. Oh, you actually trying to watch it? No, 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 no. I mean, I'm sorry. Diary of a Mad Black Woman has just beat me down. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Can't can't go back there just yet. I can't. can't. This this is horrible. I need to wash it down with some Soul Plane. I know. (laughs) Is this worse than Soul Plane? It's not worse than Soul Plane, but it is. It is more depressing than Soul Plane. It is. Because there's so much there, there is there is something to be mined here. Like I'm actually sort of sad. Again, I'm sad that there are some people that feel like this is this is what they have. Mm-hmm. Like this is where I see myself. This is what speaks to me. Like that makes me sad. Yeah. So I was, I was going to say, um, and this is it was before this though. Um, 
Kimberly, at least, I actually liked her. The one thing I think that I, I mean, I liked her and set it off. Everybody liked her and set it off, you know, because that's yeah. a nice little ensemble. But the other thing that I liked her in was John Q. She played the wife in John Q. Yeah, but she she plays the same character. Well, I think she was a little more. Than you know what? I'm going to just go ahead and say it. I have been very disappointed in the choices that Kim Elise has made over the past 20 years. Well, I don't know. I'm okay. I had high hopes for her. I'm looking at her filmography now, and I'm just going to go on a feature film. She was in Beloved, but I think she just had a. No. Right. And that's where I. Well, I mean, that's where we all met her. Mm -hmm. And I really, really liked her in Beloved a lot. She was in John Q. Yeah, playing the same beat down, put upon. Woman Thou Art Loose. Yes, right. The the, the basically, uh, whatchamacallit, T.D. Jake's Tyler Perry riff. Right. She was in The Manchurian Candidate, the remake of that. Oh, she played his wife. Yeah. I forgot all about her in that. Mm -hmm. She was in The Great Debaters. Playing a similar character. Playing his wife. Denzel obviously likes Kimberly Elise. Keep it moving. Let's keep it moving. Uh, She was in For Colored Girls. Right. Playing this game. Same character. Like, if you want to beat up a black woman and have her sobbing and beat down, somebody give Kim Elise a call. <laughs> I have this wonderful script where we yell at a black woman for an hour and a half and throw shoes at her head. Someone get Kim Elise people on the phone. She was in Dope. I don't remember her in Dope. She, was she the mother? Like maybe she was only in it for like three scenes. Yeah. I guess she was the mom. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had higher hopes for Kim Elise. She's still I working. Know, but I, I, I think she could do better work. Yeah, but there's so many. I mean, she's not bad, but there's so many more dynamic actresses that, mm. I, that I think should, you know. You know, I thought she was excellent and beloved. Like, I really did. I remember her, her and, and, you know, considering... She was acting opposite the pyrotechnics mm-hmm. of Tandy Newton, mm-hmm. the overacting of Oprah Winfrey, and uh, Danny Glover, who really did put in a great performance in Beloved. Like the fact <coughs> that she was able to carve out her own space, mm-hmm. I said, Oh, I like her. And I liked her and set it off. And then she just sort of, you know, languished. You mentioned, uh, Sandy Newton. Um, yes, I did. Who actually is doing, you know, phenomenal work on Westworld. Yes, she is. Um, and it actually is uh, steals a lot of her scenes in Solo, a Star Wars story. Oh, that's right. Because you saw. Oh, right. Because I couldn't go. So it was good. It's OK. It was all right. But Tandy Newton was doing her thing. She's doing her thing in there. Yeah. I haven't seen this week's Westworld yet. I hear it's, 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 it's a real, real good one. I, I won't find out. You're not watching Westworld. I'm anymore? giving up on Westworld. Why? I'm finding it to be very boring. <gasps> Gasp! Yeah, we'll live with that. You crazy? Um, yeah. I'm going to. I'll wait because Insecure will be coming back in August. Yes, it will. And I will watch Insecure. Meanwhile, I will catch up on the second season of of Dear White People. Yes. I will finally sit down and watch. She's got to have it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I will probably go and watch the the shy from show, on Showtime. Yeah, yeah, I never did watch it. Did People, that get renewed? I'm not sure, but okay. everybody's telling me that it's pretty good, so I'm okay. gonna check that out. There's another Netflix thing I'm I, I've been told I have to watch Rain. Uh, I'm gonna check that out. And now HBO has finally gotten the rights 
to one of the greatest sitcoms of all time, and it's now on their on their service, uh, the Larry Sanders Show. So I'll be all right watching that. So yeah, Westworld. I it, it's I see where it's interesting, but it just put me to sleep one too many times. I'm not going to get a Westworld conversation with you because we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Yeah, you had that conversation with Ariel. Yes. Y'all have fun. Yes. All right, so are we recommending Diary of a Mad Black Woman? No. Yeah, me either. No. Me either. I think, and, and the funny thing is, you, you know, and I've said this before, I think everyone should have a Medea film that they kind of pull from and say, okay, well, I watched a Medea film. This ain't it. This ain't it because it's actually not a whole lot of Medea. It, there's not a whole lot of Medea, and like you said, when you see her, she's going to the same tired joke of pulling that gun out right. of the So, you know, pick person. another Medea movie, but yeah, there's no reason to watch this. Not at all. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, before oh, we reveal God. what we're going to be watching next week all on right. Mother May I Have Another, I invite you to send us your feedback. You can email us at michellemission at gmail.com. Also, like and follow us uh, on Instagram. Twitter and Facebook at Michelle Mission and join the Michelle Mission Facebook group where we're having tons and tons of fun. Our show is available for your download streaming pleasure on Podglomerate. We are proud to be a members of the Podglomerate podcast network of sophisticated curated shows just for your palate. So check us out on podglomerate.com. Also, our show is available for download any place and every place that you find podcasts. And in a shortened yet still digestible form, is available on 1, 1 p.m. every Saturday on WPPMLP 106.5 FM here in Philadelphia and Camden. People Power Media, phillycam.org slash listen. Vince, yes. What shall we be watching next week on Mother May I Have Another? Well, you know, it's funny. A few people, including our dear friend Dorian Missick, said we should do Belly, but of course, we've we've already reviewed Belly, episode sixty six of the Michelle and Michelle. and you know there was some lively conversation about Belly on on in the group when mm-hmm. people went back and forth. So, you know, we're not gonna do belly, but we are going to do a film that I think is in many ways a spiritual successor to Belly. It's a crime film. It features acting by some in MCs that is oh, so no. laughably laughably bad. Oh God, no. It's sort of hypnotizing after a moment. <laughs> oh my God, no, please don't. I don't know if it was filmed here in Philadelphia, but it is certainly a Philadelphia favorite. Next week on the Michelle Mission, Cameron, Beanie Siegel, some other people. I'm, of course, talking about state property. As we close out, Mother May I. Would that be the close? That won't be the close, will it? I mean, we're done for. Are there, next, are there five? Today, this, yeah, yeah. Oh, that will be the last yeah, one. Yeah, this is it. So we're going to watch State Property. Uh, <laughs> You're on the Michelle Mission. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold up. I'm call- I, I, need to, I need to check something. State Property. Was that released to theaters? I be- yeah, hell yeah, it was released to theaters. I don't believe that that was released to theaters. I'm pretty sure State Property was in the movies. I, 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 I really hope that that wasn't released to theaters. Yes.
It was a limited release, but it was indeed a release. Oh, God. Okay. (laughs) Boy, that's quite a reaction from you. This should be good. In fairness, I have never seen the movie. How are you a Philly dude and you've never seen state property? Because I know better. All right. Well, you're going to see it now. Next week, state property. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So join us for state property next week here on the Michelle Mission. Oh, real quick. Uh, one other uh, one other point of, uh, uh, point of order. Steve Tozen, the $6 million triple, one half of the $10 billion couple of triples, um, uh, asked about our Spock adjacent show. Yes. Which is no longer available on our Michelle Mission uh, feed. Um, the Michelle Mission uh, is, feed is now exclusively the Michelle Mission as well as our binge lounges. There may be one or two other specials that'll sneak in there, but for the most part, it's just. Michelle Mission and our binge lounge. The all of our uh, episodes of Spock adjacent and future Spock adjacent shows will be available for download on a separate feed. Okay, that we will be starting in July. So in July, all, look for all of our former uh, Spock adjacent shows to be on that feed and it will premiere in July with a new Spock adjacent uh, show. All right. That we will put up there for you, for you. So you know, it, it, that's where they are, Steve. We're making it special just for our Trek fans. All right. You know? All right. Um, okay. Bye. Uh, he's Vince. <laughs> I'm Len, and in parting, we say, we'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.